G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. It's easy to worship God in the good times, sure. But what about the bad times when life is really tough? What does it mean to worship God in the middle of suffering? Because quite frankly, when we're suffering, the very last thing we feel like doing is worshipping God. Hi, I'm Bernie Diamond and thank you so much for joining me again on Christianity Works. Worshipping God in the midst of our suffering is singularly one of the most powerful things that we can ever do. Seriously. So let's head into God's Word to discover what that means, what it looks like. And do stay tuned because in just a few minutes, I'll be telling you about a free booklet that I'd love to send you called Living an Authentic Life to help you live a life of worship, the sort of life that impacts others the way God always intended. Well, this is the third message in a series that I've called Worship as a Way of Life. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at exactly what this thing is that we call worship. We all worship something, whether it's money or pleasure or, or career or recognition, you name it. And people sacrifice their lives to worship it. Worship is ascribing worth to something. It's, it's bowing down our lives to it and sacrificing other things for it. People will sacrifice their marriages for their careers. Why? Because they ascribe more worth to their career than they do to their husband or their wife. People will sacrifice their family and their home to adultery. Why? Because they ascribe more worth to their pleasure than to the fidelity of marriage. Last week, we talked a little bit about what it means to worship God. Now, the New Testament talks about two types of worship. There are two different Greek words used in the New Testament to talk about worship. One of them means bowing our lives down. It's the word proskuneo. It's the word we get prostrate, to prostrate ourselves. The second is the word latrio, and and it's the word that means serving. Latrio is the word that we get the word lateral from. So it's an outward form of worship. Inside worship, bowing down, prostrating ourselves, and outside worship, doing things, lateral worship. It's about worshipping God, not just with our hearts and our mouths, but with our lives. It's what we do, what we say, how we act and behave and and treat others. It's great to sing songs in church on Sundays, but that's not the whole of worship. That form of worship is the proscunio-type worship. But living worship out is something that's lateral. It goes out. Remember last week, if you were with us, we looked at Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 1, where Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, because of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Some translations say this is your spiritual act of Service. It's the word latrio. Now, this is easier said than done. 
I mean, when life's going really well, when finances and family are going well and work and it's fun and we're cruising along, it's not too hard to be a living sacrifice. You know why? Because when everything's going well, it doesn't feel like we have to sacrifice much. Man, it's easy to worship God when it's all happening like that. I'm honouring God, God's blessing me, hallelujah. But what happens when things turn ugly? When all of a sudden they start falling apart, family and wealth and health, some of those things start going wrong. What happens when we're put under pressure? What happens when it hurts? What happens when it aches so bad inside that we can barely lift the eyes of our soul Christward? What does worship as a way of life look like then? I don't think that we can talk about worship without talking about this. See, when things go bad, the most common response is to blame God. God, what are you doing? Why are you letting this happen to me? And we let out this this guttural cry. The most common reaction is to blame God. You know, it's funny how people who worship fame or success or money or pleasure, when all that comes tumbling down, as it inevitably will, they justify their actions. They never blame those things that they were worshipping. But we, well, when we go through some suffering, the very first thing that so often happens is that people blame God. Jesus made a promise to his disciples. You can read it in John chapter 16, verse 33. He promised them, in this world you will have tribulation. You will. Wow, that's one of those promises of God we don't like standing on. And when we look at worshipping God in the midst of trial and tribulation as we are today, we'll look at it from the perspective of a couple of men, Job and Paul. Now, these guys both went through a lot of suffering. Now, I don't like sermons that say, well, you know, Job did it this way and Paul did it that way and you and I should be like Job and Paul. We're not. I'm not Job, I'm not Paul, nor are you. We are us. But when we look at how these men reacted under suffering, there are some insights. There's something there where God is telling us about worship under duress, worship in times of stress. Let's have a look at Job first. Now, the story of Job, Job, if you've got a Bible, open it up. The book of Job comes just before the book of Psalms. Job chapter 1, verse 1 says that Job was blameless and upright, that he feared God and that he turned away from evil. And this guy was Mr. I have my act together. And the devil approaches God about Job and says, well, you know, it's easy for Job. Things are going well for him. But let's see if he sticks with you, God when things are going badly. So God gives the devil permission one by one to take things away from Job. First he loses his property, then his children, his reputation, his friends, his health, his marriage. One by one, God lets the devil take those things away from Job. And Job Job ends up loathing his life, wishing he'd never been born. Here's this wealthy, well-balanced, I've-got-it-all-together guy who, by the way, has been honouring God, and that's why he's being blessed, and he ends up sick, lost, alone, a laughing stock. His friends tell him he must have sinned. Job, it must all have been your fault. Do you think that's tough? I mean, how, have a listen to how he felt. Chapter 3. He said, let the day perish in which I was born. Why did I not die at birth? Why did I not come forth from the womb and expire? Job wished he was dead. Life for Job was tough, particularly in light of the fact that he was blameless, upright, he feared God, he turned away from evil. It wasn't his fault. Why was this happening? It hurt so much. His friends criticised him. God, what 
are you doing? Ever felt like that? Well, after this break, we're going to take a look at how Job responded. What happened to worship in Job's life when it all came tumbling down? I'm Bernie Diamond, and you're listening to Christianity Works. I just want to take a moment during this short break to share something truly important with you. No one likes a hypocrite. You don't, I don't. And yet so many of God's people, Christians, come across to others as being just that, hypocrites. And that's sad because God means for us, you and me, to have a powerful impact in this world. That's why I'd love to send you a free copy of our latest life application booklet. It's called Living an Authentic Life, full of life-changing practical Bible teaching to help you be all that God made you to be. In fact, at the end of each chapter, you'll find some life application questions to help you think through and apply God's Word right into the realities of your life. To request your copy, stop by our mobile-friendly website, ChristianityWorks.com, or give us a call toll-free on 1-300-722-415, and we'll send your free booklet straight out to you in the post. Again, that's online at ChristianityWorks.com or toll-free on 1-300-722-415. Okay, so let's head back now into God's Word. We're looking at Job's response when all God's blessings were taken away from him one by one. His health, his family, his friends, his, his everything was taken away. And the good news is... Job was human. He lost everything, and it wasn't his fault. Now, if you thought that I was going to give you some Job had a perfect response kind of message today, you're wrong. Job lost possessions, family, marriage, health, reputation, friends, everything, basically. Have a listen to what happened. Job chapter 2, verse 7. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. And he replied, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Now that's a very noble response. When you read what was happening to him, it was really ugly. It's hard to read and to listen to. But in the very next chapter, he curses the day he was born. And Job takes this situation to God and argues it with him. He ends up loathing his life. Have a listen to Job chapter 10, verse 1. I loathe my very life. Therefore, I will give free rein to my complaint and speak out in the bitterness of my soul. Pretty human response. I will say to God, do not condemn me, but tell me what charges you have against me. Does it please you to oppress me, to spurn the work of your hands while you smile on the schemes of the wicked? Do you have eyes of flesh? Do you you see as mortals see? Are your days like those of a mortal or your years like those of a man? That you must search out my faults and probe after my sin, though you know that I am not guilty and that no one can rescue me from your hand? Your hands shaped me and made me. Will you now turn and destroy me? It's a pretty heartfelt response. When this stuff happens to us, we have natural reactions just like Job. 
It hurts. We, we want to hang on to God, but ultimately it hurts so much that like Job, we can end up going to God and saying, God, I loathe my very life. Why are you doing this to me? We want to know why. And sometimes, like Job, our friends end up blaming us. Well, great help they were. Job prays for relief and for deliverance, and and God seems to withhold it. He says, God, how come those wicked people over there are doing just fine and this stuff is happening to me? Do you recognise any of this stuff? It's the stuff of normal human reactions. But there's something that runs through all of this. When you read the book of Job, there's a golden thread in the midst of all the dark and the painful ones. Job will not stop hoping in God. As much as this is tearing him apart in every way, at every level, he won't stop putting his hope in God. Job chapter 19, verse 25, he says, I know. He's been through a whole bunch of stuff, yet he says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. See what this is? This is Job worshipping God in his heart. It's proscunio-type worship. It's bowing down, saying, you know something, no matter all this stuff that God seems to have thrown my way, I know that my Redeemer lives. And he decides to worship God with his life too. You pick it up in Job chapter 27, verse 2. As surely as God lives, who has denied me justice, the Almighty, who has made me taste bitterness of my soul, as long as I have life within me, the breath of God in my nostrils, my lips will not speak wickedness, and my tongue will utter no deceit. I will never admit you are in the right till I die. I will not deny my integrity. I will maintain my righteousness and never let go of it. My conscience will not reproach me as long as I live. In other words, I'm just going to keep on keeping on in doing good. I don't care what the world throws at me. I will not let go of my God and I will not let go of my integrity. You know what that looks like to me? That looks like a man bowing his life down and worshipping God. See, Job had all the normal human emotional responses that you and I have when things go bad. When bad stuff happens to us, it's not the time to deny our humanity. It's not the time for a sermon that says Job was perfect and we should be perfect, because Job wasn't. Job was human. Job struggled with stuff just like you and I do. When we lose a loved one, we're going to grieve. When our health fails us, it's going to be scary. And in the middle of all that, God is calling us to keep our eyes on him to worship him on the inside and on the outside, to worship him in our hearts and never let him go, and to worship him with our lives and keep on doing good. I've been through some really tough times in my life when it hurt so much, I didn't even have the strength to lift my eyes and look at God. But he gave me a gift of his spirit, deep in my heart, I wouldn't let go. The only decision I could make, by the grace of God, I made it. God is my God and my Redeemer lives. I will never blame God for my woes. 
I'll be like Job. I'll ask him why. I'll share my pain with him. But I will never blame him. Because he is my God. You know something? That's worship. Worship in the hardest place of all. And as I look back through those dark times, it's something that I've never, ever regretted. When we've worshipped God through tears and gritted teeth and in the midst of the dark times, we look back and we see his piercing light shining into that darkness. In the midst of bitterness, we can look back and remember the wondrous taste of the sweetness of the love of Christ. Bernie Diamond, and you're listening to Christianity Works. As we take this short break, I'd like to tell you about a free daily resource that I'd love to send you to help you draw closer to God. It's called Fresh, a short daily devotional with a powerful scripture verse together with some words of inspiration, hope and encouragement delivered right to the inbox on your smartphone, tablet or computer each and every day. Or if you prefer, you can now receive a printed version delivered right to your letterbox. It's completely free. To get instant access either to the digital or the printed version of Fresh, stop by our mobile-friendly website, ChristianityWorks.com, and you'll see the Fresh e-devotional sign-up right there at the top of the homepage. Or, if you prefer, give us a call toll-free on 1-300-722-415 to request the printed Fresh devotional. It's completely up to you. That's online at ChristianityWorks.com or toll-free on one 722 415. So go ahead, sign up to receive fresh and may your heart be touched and transformed as you draw ever closer to Jesus through his word. Okay, let's head back now into God's word. Just going to spend some time briefly looking at Paul and Silas in prison, because there's something special when we praise God with our lips in our difficult times. It's a wonderful story. You can pick it up. If you have a Bible, open it up. Acts chapter 16, beginning at verse 16. Once when they were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. Now this girl followed Paul and the rest of us around, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around to her and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight... Paul and Silas, as you do, were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. 
The jailer woke up and he went and saw that the prison doors were open and he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all still here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked them, sirs, what do I have to do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and all your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, and then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. A great story. Paul and Silas are going along and they're doing what they're doing and this this woman who's possessed by a demon is driving them nuts. So Paul just turns around and casts the demon out in the name of Jesus Christ. They get hauled before a court. Paul and Silas are severely flogged. Listen to this, verse 23 of chapter 16. They had been severely flogged. They were thrown into prison. What was their direct response to being severely flogged? Have you ever been flogged? I mean, maybe we got a, a belting as a kid but flogged with whips. They would have been in a lot of pain. They would have needed the odd Panadol. What was their direct response? Look at verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. There is something so special about praising God with our lips at those times. And in the middle of all that, see, this wasn't fair that they were locked up wasn't their fault. Someone just got them and locked them up and beat them. And in the middle of all that, God had a plan. Why were they in prison? Why had they been flogged? Why did God put his spirit of praise in their hearts and on their lips? Because God had a plan. God wanted to save the jailer and his family. But that plan relied on Paul and Silas not running away the moment God loosed their chains and opened the cell doors, but on standing there and ministering to God. You know what we want to do when we suffer? We want to complain and run away. Instead, Paul and Silas praised God and stood firm in his purposes when they had the opportunity to run. There it is again. They did inside worship, proscunia worship, and outside latria worship. They worshipped in their hearts and they worshipped with their lives. We sometimes behave as though God could never possibly show up in the midst of our suffering, let alone do a miracle. But it's when we're suffering that we're called to praise God. To worship him, to say, God, I don't know why this is happening to me. But you know something, Lord? I'm going to praise you. I'm going to sing songs of worship and praise in my heart to you. I'm going to make music to you with my heart. And then when I finish doing that, Lord, I don't know why I'm in this place. But I'm going to stand here for you. Just for you. Lord, I don't know what you're about to do. I don't know whether you're going to do a miracle or whether not. I just don't know. But I'm not going to run. I'm just going to be here for you. See, the story of Job and Paul and Silas give us some things to think about. How much use is it to stand in the midst of our pain and blame God? Instead of blaming him, instead of accusing him, in the midst of our weakness, we can stand firm. We're going to go through stuff. 
Our emotions are going to go up and down. We are going to feel pain and distress and some days fear, but when we stand in the middle of that and we worship God with our hearts, with our lips, with our hands, with our very lives, there is something so incredibly special about that. What about you and me? What prison are we in at the moment? What what thing are we going through like Job at the moment? Are we saying, God, why are you doing this? Or do we just give up on that and say, Lord, I don't know why, but I am going to worship you. Can I encourage you? Worship is really worship when we're going through trials and tribulations. When other people have turned against us, when it's not fair, when, when all these wicked people out there are walking around and, and God seems to be leaving them alone, but, but something bad's happening in our lives when we've been trying to be faithful to God and it's just not fair. The most wonderful response that we can have is to worship God with everything that we are. That changes us. It changes us forever and ever and ever. Let me encourage you, no matter what you are going through today, choose to worship God with your heart. Before I go, there's something very important that I need to share with you. This program, Christianity Works, is encouraging so many people in over 160 countries around the world to live an authentic life in a rich, dynamic, powerful relationship with Jesus. But that's only possible through the generous support of friends like you. Now, each dollar that you give toward the Ministry of Christianity Works today will help reach almost 3,000 people with a gospel message. So a gift of, say, $35 will reach over 100,000 people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Hey, that's amazing. So let me encourage you to give a generous, tax-deductible gift to Christianity Works today. You can do that right now, securely online, by visiting our mobile-friendly website, ChristianityWorks.com, or by giving us a call toll-free on 1-300-722-415. And when you do get in touch, please don't forget to request your free copy of that life application booklet that I mentioned earlier. It's called Living an Authentic Life. Again, that's online at ChristianityWorks.com or toll-free on 1-300-722-415. Hey, thanks so much for your support and for joining me today. I'm Bernie Diamond. And I'll catch you again same time next week with another message of God's love, God's grace, and God's power for each one of us in Jesus Christ. taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.